Hello and welcome to the SDC Fit Learning Podcast. I'll be your host today. My name's Ben Scott. I'll be joined by Jason Galea. Thanks for joining us on our way to create 1 million positive outcomes for personal training clients by 2030. The podcast is brought to you by at STC Fit Learning, a page created to upskill and educate PTs and gym nerds. Also brought to you by at STC Fit, and that's a place for all your online and in-person personal training needs. If you enjoyed today's episodes, please give us a share and tag on the Instawebs. You can tag at STC Fit, at STC Fit Learning, at Ben Scott SC, and at Jason Galea PC. Hope you enjoy the show. Jason. Benjamin. How are we doing? How are you? Benjamin. Oh, so that's how I'm it's going to be more formal. I've got to be more formal when we don't do this as often. I feel like I've got to bring something now. Yeah. Okay. Now we've got other people doing the podcast. Like, you know, they might start, you know, swaying their, their interest towards them. So I've got to bring, I've got to bring something. <laughs> we've got to make sure that we're still entertaining. Formalities. <laughs> yeah. So it's for, for formalities now. Right. <laughs> I just instantly felt like I was in trouble then. Fuck, what did I do? That is the only form that yeah, that is the only formality that's gonna come out. It's, <laughs> it's just a downhill downhill ride from here. You'll <laughs> be swearing and saying yeah. shit, all this slang. So you're in for a treat. <laughs> How's the home gym? Yeah, it, it's it's still the same. So it's a little upsetting. <laughs> really <laughs> trying to find some I haven't bought anything new, so you're sad. Nah, there's just nothing around. So I look literally. I look every day, and like when people say every day, like they don't look every day. Yeah, it's just like they look a lot. No, no, no. I look every day. Every <laughs> what do you day. Want to for at the moment, the leg extension, yeah, and curl. Leg extension, leg curl, like either plate loaded or like a seated leg extension, leg curl, and um, either plate loaded or, or um, pin loaded. Yeah, um, and I'm. Either a functional trainer or like a lat pull down seated row kind of combo, but I'm a bit undecided on that. So if I can get the right functional trainer, I don't think I need a lat pull down. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and or a seated the row. So. The functional pull down things like, like when you sent me the one the other day, it's like maximum 25 kilos at the handle. Because hmm. there's so many pulleys. Not, like, mm. That is not it. Yeah. It's not what we want. The one, the one that we had a good life ages ago, like that's the gold standard. Yeah. 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 Like you still, you so still like, like it, but it needs to have, weight. Now you, you need to have individual weight stacks. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Each pulley has its own individual weight stack. So when you pull it them together, it would be, you know, around about ish 50 kilos on each arm. So yeah. You make it work. Yeah, that's it. You can make a lap pull down challenging enough. To, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm finding like even now, like, because I don't have a, like a hip rest for when I do the pull downs, like I just lie on the floor. Like 50, 50 kilos is enough. As long as you get the reps out, like, a, you know, if you're doing eight reps, like it's not going to be that challenging. But like, it's just amazing how much more you can get out with that seat rest. Yeah, because like, you can swing and shit. And yeah, Tam posted it yesterday. I think like, what hacks do you guys have? I remember <laughs> when I first went to Apex and like was sitting on like a school chair for their lap pull down. 
because I couldn't be bothered getting yeah, yeah. I was just like lifting me up out of the seat each time. It's like, this yeah. is not effective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not at all. It's like you yeah, need to put a I bag. was going to say, just put a bag of sand, put a bag of sand over your lap. On your lap. But like, how would you grab the, how would you grab the thing for it? <laughs> start, start wearing weight vests for lap pull downs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. You just need to be heavier. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like, it's doing okay. Like I've, I've found a, a, enough exercises that I like to do that service the outcome with the stuff that I have. So yeah. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah, I'm very excited for the safety bar to come. That's my, yeah. My yeah favorite piece of equipment. Yep. I'm going to have one in my house. It's very exciting. Yeah, I'm almost at the point where like, I'm just going to buy one. <laughs> Another one. Another one. It's <laughs> <laughs> come. Yeah, it'll probably still, they'll probably come at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. <clears throat> yeah. But, um, yeah. But what's no, the, what's no, the goals no. at the moment? Gains or shreds? Uh, so I'm trying to lean out. Like I've got a, I'm that guy who gets lean for his holidays. So there's, <clears throat> I should be able to go away at the end of the year. But we are potentially, yeah, we are potentially going away over the, you know, New Year's kind of period. Yeah. We're going up to Cairns and, you know, there's a couple of, couple of pool parties and, you know, all that kind of jazz. So, so I can't be this big fucking soft round human. Well, I could, but I just don't want to like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So we'll drop a couple of kilos, not too many. Like I think I'll drop a like six, I probably got like maybe another five or six to go. It's just amazing. Like I, I, I always smile at like 10 kilos of weight loss sounds like a lot, but like, it's not when you're a big person. Yeah. Not from a hundred, still in 10%. Yeah. 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 And, but even there's so much weight that's just like nothing. Like you lose six kilos. I was like, fuck me. I don't even really look that different. Like, like it's just like nothing weight it's a bit of food volume it's a bit of water it's a little bit of body fat in there like all your muscles are a little bit depleted of glycogen because you're a big person you probably got more muscle like even you look at other people that are like oh i lost 10 kilos just like fucking where man like you just yeah like it's just amazing how like yeah how much like just weight we have that we could just lose like that yeah i think Um, especially as like a a large male like there's just so much fluid and the way mm. bread and shit is just like it doesn't if you're a big human it doesn't look like that much has changed and if you're eating like you know four thousand calories plus which most big people are yeah. like there's so much of like there's like three kilos of food weight with water yeah you know it's like yeah you know, what is it three three to four grams per gram of carbohydrates <clears throat> and I'm yeah eating, i'm eating 650 grams of carbs yeah it's like yeah two and a half kilos just in just in the fluid let alone the actual food volume itself. Yeah. 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 So there's always like that first month's never really a good indication of what's happening mm. for me. Um, after that, it's like, you know, um, the progress, you can't, you can't get to see the progress and stuff. So we'll see what happens. What's your body weight now? Yeah. 95. I think it was 95 faster this morning. So I may, may for the first time ever be heavier than you at some point. You can, you can take that torch, man. It won't. It's not a nice heavier, but it's heavier. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like you talk about, um, like that amount of weight change not looking much different. It's like eighty seven, eighty eight. 
like middle of COVID, just wasn't eating. I looked pretty good and like stayed the same ish till about 92. And then from 92 to 93, it's like, oh, love handles back. And then 94, I was like, yeah, okay, you're a slob. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but we'll just keep sending it. Getting to that point People now, was, like everyday activities are now hard. Like I have mm-hmm. to make a real conscious effort that you have to exercise every day. Because as soon as you don't, you just feel like fucking rubbish. It gets worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, today's topic's perfect for you, Ben, because when you decide to, you know, defluff yourself, you can, you know, turn into this, tune into this podcast or maybe read one of my latest articles on how to navigate through a phase of fat loss. I have it, have it pinned and saved for when that inevitable diet phase comes. <laughs> Which, yeah, if Aaron is like your diet phase, any time different. What's that? You're like your diet phases are just way different to everyone, everyone else's. Yeah. It's just like, it's going to be as least aggressive as possible. <laughs> I usually just take like the shit, like my last meal of the day. If I just stop eating that, that's, I'm done. That's yeah. sweet. Cause that's usually like 900 calories. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fuck. That's crazy. So fat loss cheat sheet was the article. Yes. Um, yes. So let's unpack. There was the, the inspiration for this was, was more of a, um, like having a couple of places for people to go to, um, to kind of net, you know, decide how to navigate through a phase of fat loss. Cause like as coaches, we can, um, manage these overarching, uh, principles that will govern the outcome, but we really need to, the, the, the individual themselves really needs to explore, you know, how they're going to take those principles and put it into, um, you know, application for their own kind of lifestyle choices, those kind of things. Cause you know, if you ask me to, you know, what's the best way to lose weight, I'm going to pick the thing that's going to get the outcome the fastest, because I'm just assuming that, you guys can handle it. So it's not really about that. Mm. Um, it's about you guys going, right, well, this is the deficit that I've got. This is the outcome, the goal, whatever. Um, I'm going to you know, do pick this strategy or a lot of people will navigate through these strategies. Like, you know, they won't just pick one. They'll kind of go through the spectrum of, you know, strategies to help. It, they're honestly all about like keeping you guys consistent because that's the thing that's going to derail the progress the most. So I've got a few strategies in here I like to use. Um, and I've just, you know, um, put some other things in here that I know other people do. And then, you know, people can just try them and they go, Oh, this one sits really well with me at the end of the day, the best plan is the one you follow. Um, so yeah, I think it was, a, I thought it was a good opportunity to just, you know, throw out the shit that matters. Cause that's the thing that that's, that's my thing you know, doing the stuff that matters, not the bullshit. Um, and then, yeah, giving you guys a place to go to, 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 you know, kind of throw hash this out a bit. Yeah. I think um, just prefacing that's really important for, for people to understand too. Like I'm sure Tam will come up with some cool headline for the, for the podcast episodes, probably like fat loss cheat sheet or something. So if you come on like all excited for Jason and I to give you, here's exactly how to lose fat. 
you've just heard in, in the last two minutes of like Jason's application to his fat loss phase is going to be different to the way I'd like to do them. Um, not that I'm renowned for being shredded, but just like having the, the concept in mind that there's not a method necessarily that's going to sit exactly for a whole range of different people in different circumstances and even for yourself in different times. So like the external influences are going to impact all of that, which I'm sure we'll unpack as well. But I just, I think it's important to understand that like the goal here isn't necessarily to say, go and do this. It's like, okay, yeah. put together a plan that you think will work for you right now. Yeah. This is what you can do. So I guess like moving into the content, it's unavoidable to discuss the nutrition and calorie management component and obviously like visiting that first because it's inevitable to that we need to, you know, kind of use this energy balance, um, use this relationship between the energy coming in the system and out the system um, to manipulate it in a favorable way to, you know, for your body to lose body fat. So, you know, we talk about it a lot. Um, we're going to revisit it again, bang it like the, the drum that we do. And, you know, there needs to be less energy going in the system than there is going out of the system in order for it to lose weight, body fat, you know, how, how much fat it loses of weight is indicative of calorie distribution or macronutrient distribution training, you know, maybe when we feed and stuff, you know, those kind of things. So generally we'll use some form of calorie formula you guys can pick whichever one you want to be honest i just think like pick one and be consistent with it it's more about kind of the starting point it's more about getting a logical starting point and then going all right well let's assess what's happening in the variables over a 10 to 14 day period make some adjustments along the way and just see like what your range is like so i think it's really important to understand that like your maintenance calories is a range it's not a number so it's not you know 2,434 calories is my maintenance. And if I go either side of that, like I'm in a deficit or a surplus because your total daily energy expenditure is, you know, a, a myriad of things from, you know, thermic effective food, your basal metabolic rate, your physical activity levels, um, and then your NEAT uh, as well. So your NEAT is the one that will probably fluctuate more so if you do a flexible dieting method, your, you know, um, thermic effective feeding can change as well. So they're the things that are going to kind of alter that relationship, um, which is why it's more of a range than it is a, a specific number. But either way, you know, we're kind of looking at this, finding this kind of range so that we can maintain, you know, a range of body weight as well. So if I was at, the, at my heaviest at 101 kilos, I kind of needed to find the amount of calories that I could maintain a range of about a hundred point, hundred point five to, you know, one Oh one, one Oh one point five and go, right. Well, this is roughly kind of where I need to start. Um, my, uh, sorry, I need to create a deficit off that number or that range. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So you're establishing <laughs> a baseline oh, first, I think is the, the main take home point there is like you, you need to know where you're starting from. And I think yeah. like a lot of people listening, if you've been chronically kind of dieting for a long period of time, 
this is one thing that a lot of people miss. And it's one thing that like I try and communicate with new people coming on like, Hey, it's pretty likely that scale weight's going to go up just from like, we're talking about earlier, like food volume and carbohydrate intake and stuff. I said, but we, but we want to find a point where it's like, you're eating a certain amount of food, your waist measurement and your body weight is staying pretty consistent. Then we talk about a fat loss phase. So I, I like to talk about, call that a habit phase. So you might yep. be in a position right now that you're already used to managing this stuff. So like food selection, um, calorie intake, macro splits, all that sort of stuff. You might be on top of it. And then it's just like a matter of like, okay, where is my maintenance? You probably have a good idea if you've been playing it with it for a little while. If you're newer to this though, then it might be like, like you said, using the calculator, it's going to be here-ish, taper it up, taper it down, see where it is. Um, but during that process is going to be like learning where to get your protein sources, learning where to get your carbon fat sources and fiber and how to spread that out over the day and how you're feeling and what foods agree with you, what don't, um, how you're going to time your train, your feeding around your training and all that sort of stuff. So usually with my clients, depending on how experienced they are, it's anywhere from two to six weeks usually to during like in that habit formation phase. And then it's like, okay, I like to refer to it as like earning your fat loss phase. It's like you've built the habits and even outside of nutrition, like your training, you're hitting your program every, every week, like all your sessions every week, your sleep, your, if, if you've got like lifestyle intervention stuff, so like um, reducing stress strategies for that, all of those types of things, like you're putting all those things in place before you add the stress of the calorie deficit. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So I think like just before we move on from this one, some formulas that are quite popular for, um, you know, finding this number or this range and you guys playing around with it after that is the Cunningham equation, uh, the Harris Benedict equation and the Mifflin St. Dior, uh, Dior, sorry, equation. So they're three that are quite popular. My advice is to pick one, not, um, I mean, I've played around with doing all three and then just doing the mean of that. So yeah, I think we still appreciate on that. Was like, what's the difference? Only like 19 calories or something. Oh, it was nothing. That's, that's what I mean. So it just depending on like who you are and how many stones you want to turn over. Um, yeah. You can use that, use one of those formulas um, and then, you know, understand what your physical activity level is to, um, you know, give yourself that reference or that, that number. <clears throat> so moving on um, after that period, like, you know, we've got to now decide like, you know, how much of a deficit are we, you know, kind of going to work with. So given my experience and the people that I work with um, deficits range anywhere from 5%, which is probably not enough in my opinion, um, all the way to fuck like, <laughs> Do I be honest and say 50%? Because that's, that's literally true. Yeah. So uh, in a nutshell, the aggressiveness will dictate the time frame, and all the time frame could dictate the aggressiveness. It's about finding, you know, at all times, and I'm going to say this throughout today's episode, it's like you need to ask yourself, can I stick to this continuously and consistently for a prolonged period of time? So if I sat there and said, you know, you're only going to have 
200 grams of 250 grams of protein, 50 grams of carbs and 50 grams of fat, probably doing that five days. Like I'm, I'm being honest. Uh, might do it for a little bit longer. It just depends where I am in the, in the fat loss phase, but you're not doing that for a long period of time, in my opinion. So you need to start to consider like, you know, could you do 15%? I find for most people, 15% is a good place to start. Um, you'll probably understand that this is a moving number as well, because we've got you know adaptations to dieting as our body understands that you know we're losing size and you know it's starving itself. Um, you know, there's it's very very smart, so it will try and regulate that, um, bring you down to a new medium, decrease energy expenditure, you know, get more energy at or get more efficient at making energy as well. Uh, but generally, like you know, ten to fifteen percent for most clients, um, but gone way more aggressive than that from the start, you know, 20 to 30%. So it really depends on the goal and what you're trying to achieve and the personality of the client. You know, if we're doing a prolonged, you know, photo shoot prep, comp prep, something like that, like I almost likely start with a 30% drop and like just get ahead of the game. Um, and then, you know, kind of just up feeding days um, in the weeks and stuff and bring up the weekly calorie average so that it would be, you know, say back to a 15 to 20% deficit rather than a 30 to 35. So it really depends on a lot of things, but generally like if you guys are, you know, just new to this stuff, it's like, just go with 10% to start with, see if you can handle it, then kind of, you know, increase the aggressiveness from there. Yeah. I've found that I'm sure you're going to, to methods and stuff later. The more experienced you get, the more willing and able you are to complete those more aggressive plans. Yeah. Most times when I've gone with maybe people that haven't used this kind of model before, they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go aggressive, like hard for six weeks. It's like they bomb like within the first. Yeah. Seems to be like a 10 day for most people. It's like last 10 days and then blow it and then last another 10 days and blow it. And it's like, okay, so if we just increased your calories by 100 to 200 calories a day, your net calorie intake over a month is actually going to be lower. Can we just do that? Um, I think it's, yeah, like that habit phase that we talked about, if you've been in that for quite some time and you've dieted before those aggressive sort of methods seem to be more effective because people are just sort of used to being like, they've been there before. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be, to struggle a little bit. Um, whereas yeah, you're like your first, your first crack at this style of approach. I think, yeah, that linear sort of approach tends to work a little bit better. Yeah, we're gonna take we're gonna talk about like hunger management and stuff like soon. I think that for most people, they kind of want you need to ease yourself into this so that you don't have a um, you don't want to you don't want to ever bring up like really bad negative experiences whilst doing this because like revisiting this is most likely not going to happen or you're gonna to have to break some walls down over a couple of years to get back into a position where you can do this again. Yeah. <clears throat> so you don't really want to go all guns blazing, especially if you haven't done it before, because um, if you do that and you try and stick it out, you're going to suffer. Um, and if you don't bring yourself back out, you'll probably go back to square one, maybe even worse. Um, and then you've just got this negative diet cycle that you're um, kind of trapped in. Um, so we never want to do that. So you kind of want to yeah, always start off with something that's very doable. Be super confident that you can, you know, partake in this for a consistent period of time. And then, you know, trying to evolve as you, evolve your you know it's more of a mindset thing than anything in my opinion yeah that's actually what i was going to say is that that athlete mindset so i feel like that takes time to develop and it you like you might already be an athlete in the gym 
but an athlete mindset for your nutrition takes time to develop as well. Like accepting the things that we just mentioned. So if you don't have that yet, like you, you kind of need to develop that over time. And most people just want to look better. Like it's not, I'm getting shredded for a photo shoot or a competition or whatever. It's like, mm. I just want to look more athletic. So it's like, okay, let's create athletic black behaviors where you're managing your nutrition, you're training your lifestyle. So over time you improve your body composition and you look more athletic that there's no rush for that. And there's, there's lots of other benefits to maybe having more food, like in terms of performance and sleep and all that type of stuff, particularly while this is a new change moving into that athletic type mindset. But once you're there and you've done it before, it's like, okay, no, this, it becomes, we've talked about it before with like your pursuit around sport. And I've sort of identified that obviously some people have problems with that aggressive diet model and start to like get a little bit disorientated and disordered with like their perception of their body and all that type of stuff. Like you need to have all that, those boxes ticked and then kind of go, okay, this is a, a sporting endeavor. I think the best way to look at it is like, I'm going to do this thing for a specific outcome for a period of time, but this isn't normal. And unless you can disconnect those two things, um, then you, yeah, a more relaxed model is probably better. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So moving on from the calorie part, we need to consider like diet composition. So diet composition is pretty important, especially if you train um, and you're, <clears throat> more invested in your body composition and I guess like trying to maintain as much lean body mass as possible. Um, so yes, you can definitely lose weight and lose fat um, you know, on a much lower protein diet and just taking care of the calorie component of it. But if you're invested in, you know, strength, power, muscle, you know, those kind of things, then you need to be considering your overall protein intake when you're in a deficit because it changes and it changes for specific reasons. So <clears throat> I guess the easiest way to, to explain it is when we're eating less food and we're expending more energy, we're in a catabolic environment. So a lot of people like will just straight away associate like catabolism to just like muscle or something like that. But catabolism means like everything. It means it's breaking down fat. You're breaking down potentially lean tissue. You, you, your body's breaking itself down. So because of this, we need to consider that if we are trying to preserve lean body mass, that we may need to support that body with more protein in order to fill that gap. So this is where protein distribution can increase and it can increase significantly depending on how lean that individual is because the likelihood of you using protein for fuel the leaner you get is kind of goes up you know so generally like if someone's doing a cut and they get <clears throat> super super lean um we will most likely increase protein as that person gets leaner obviously manipulating the other variables and stuff um whilst they you know whilst we transition them kind of across the the phase of fat loss so generally just generally um, a prescription of protein per kilo or per grams per kilo is roughly, you know, two, two to three, I think is a good place to go. Um, I've gone upwards of four. There's been no adverse effects on 
you know, health and this and that, like people, most people think, um, if anything, <clears throat> the higher you go, I've actually seen really positive changes in body composition where someone's either potentially gotten a little bit bigger. I mean, they may be, this person was, you know, beginner intermediate. Um, and they obviously got a bit leaner, uh, significantly leaner at the same time. So essentially I like to start at two, um, and then kind of drive it up from there. I've gone to, yeah, personally, I've gone to, I think 4.4. I kind of try to mimic, mimic that research, that study that they did. I think that's the highest amount of protein they've ever had. It's just like so much fucking protein. Like it's just hard to eat. So much meat. Like, oh, it's just so, so much meat, protein. It's hard to like, because you're in a deficit, it's hard to like get, because the fats are low and the carbs are low. It's just hard to make foods. So you're just eating egg whites and protein shakes and just shit that like has no fat in it or, yeah. or carbs in it, like white fish, just all the shit I fucking hate, um, you know, to eat on their own. Yeah. It was like, I could eat, <laughs> but it's super effective. I could eat that much meat if it was all steak. <clears throat> yeah. And that's heavily, not going to happen because heavily salted calories going to blow steak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Calories just going to blow the fuck out. So, um, yeah, the, obviously, that's not going to work for most people. So don't go and say, all right, I'm going up to 4.4 grams per kilo and, you know, kind of <clears throat> doing that. Um, need to just consider like more protein. Um, generally like it's about 1.6 to two grams per kilo for uh, <clears throat> a hyperactive, you know, five days in the gym, um, you know, gym goer. So you're going to increase your protein above that baseline generally. Yeah. Um, so the next thing after that, like your composition is talking about your dietary fat and carbohydrates. So like, this is going to be really, really quick, um, because the total energy balance and the protein are the two variables that we really need to think about, um, and be consistent with the fat and carbohydrate ratios can swing a little bit. So that's where you can get this little bit of variation. Um, you know, one day you might eat more carb based foods. The other day you might eat more fat based foods. Um, it's really a personal preference here, you know, depending on what people's foods they like to eat. I still like to go with the carbohydrate um, distribution being as high as it can be, depending on the individual um, more so because you just get more food volume in and that can be a great tool to, you know, just make those feeding times a little bit longer, a little bit more frequent um, that can really help mentally. However, it doesn't really matter. Um, there's really good research that shows that I still think, yeah, like, taking that performance-based mindset, the carbs around training wouldn't hurt. So yeah, it really depends on the person. You know, if you're just, you know, um, in the gym, just trying to drop a few kilos, it's kind of, yeah, choose whichever one, whichever ratio suits you best. For someone who's like competing or something like that, I'm still going to go with carbs. And like the performance is the highest virtue that we have. Um, it predicates the look that we want. Um, everything kind of doesn't happen unless we train hard. Um, so we want to try and set ourselves up to go into the gym and crush it. So um, your carbohydrates and your peri-workout nutrition is still going to kind of do that. So I'm still going to advocate a pre and post-workout meal that's more dense in carbohydrates and lower in fat. You got anything to add? There? Yeah, I think maybe bringing it back out of a competitor space um, into like, your more general like that shift towards looking more athletic or being more athletic in terms of performance like 
eating in a way that facilitates that and I have still having a mindset of that as well, I think is what people miss. It's like, Oh, I'm dieting. So I'm like useless. Like you, you mentioned there, like, um, performance is still, I, I use the, the terminology performance is king. It's like if performance is dropping away and you don't have a bodybuilding show, it's like you're probably making an error there somewhere. <laughs> like you should be able to maintain the levels of performance uh, most of the time. Yep. If not, depending on how experienced you are, a lot of the time actually still improve performance, particularly like strength and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I think that's a really important thing to add as well. And then the other thing that I would add on top of that is like, seems to be this huge, huge swing around like specificity for the female athlete at the moment. I think like if you're listening to this and you're kind of like, yeah, but what about for females? I don't think any of these rules change because built within this is like the rest of the distribute, the, the, the line out of the article is the rest of the distribution of energy is personal preference. So if you know that you want more carbohydrates on a certain week or a certain few days, like that's possible. There's no rules around that necessarily. Um, and understanding all of this stuff kind of mitigates a lot of the, the minutiae that we kind of tend to get caught up in, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that's yeah, definitely pretty yeah. solid. It's, I think if you, if you look at things as simple, if you look at things as simple as possible, it's like, it really is as simple as like, eat your protein, eat your calories. And then like the rest of the stuff is kind of, for most people, like that's kind of where we want to be. Yeah. The, um, the only real difference from a gender standpoint is going to be that baseline of fat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure a good range is like just go 30% of your calories for a female as fat as a general rule. But I, I still think it's case specific because I've definitely played around with much, much, much lower than that for a short period of time though. So this is yeah. probably an overall thing you know, to go and say, do this overall yeah yeah my my standard practices uh, so the next one per kilo and then from one gram per kilo is like yeah. the only time i'll go under that is like we're starting to get real low on carbohydrates i don't want to take any more off you usually with a really small human this is the only time it will drop to like 0. 0.8 yeah <sighs> those small people <laughs> they get a lot of food generally so the next one's really important. I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, so it's hunger regulation. So ma managing hunger during a phase of failure is always going to be challenging. Like I'm definitely not going to argue with that. Um, the, the biggest gripe and the biggest beef that I have is one of the side effects of eating less is hunger. Um, it shouldn't be extreme hunger. Like, you know, if we, if you understand like the hunger scale, um, and it's just like, you know, a scale of one to 10, each marker kind of gives us an indication of us like, you know, what, if we're feeling like this, we could rank your hunger scale at this number. Um, we can use that and go, right, well, you know, fuck, we're maybe a little bit too hungry and this is going to derail our progress. Um, but it, you know, I've, I've had people like fucking surprised that they're hungry. It's like, yeah, man, like, unfortunately that's going to happen because, your body's sending signals because it's identified that there's less food going into the system. So hormonally it's like, it has identified this and it's like, cool, let's increase the hunger signaling to encourage this person to eat. 
Yeah. So there, now we have to fight that and go, right, well, you know, is it mealtime? Is it not? You know, if it's not, you know, a bit of concrete, you know, sometimes it's like, you've got to, you've got to suck it up like this. this it's just inevitable to be hungry. Um, it's, I think it's just the degree of hunger that we're really trying to manage. Um, and we shouldn't really be selling like, Oh, you know, I'm so full. I was so full all the time when I got super lean and stuff. It's like, did, were you like, were you really? Um, cause I don't really remember being five, six, seven percent body fat and being full. Like I ate and I was like, fuck man, I could eat again. Yeah. And then it's like a half an hour later, I was waiting an hour and a half for my next meal. Um, so I, you're dealing with, you know, physiology that you can't change. You know, we can only help, you know, mitigate that degree of hunger. I don't think you can avoid it at all. It's a good old fashioned, um, so yeah. good old fashioned fitness industry pendulum. It's like it used to be yeah. struggle as hard as you can. If you're hungry, that's good. Like get down and dirty into that diet. Like fucking put a star on your chest because of like how much you're punishing yourself. And it's almost gone all the way the other way. It's like, no, 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 you can get lean on 2000 calories. It's like, oh, maybe you can't. Not everyone can and not everyone can in every situation at every point that they try and diet. Um, Yeah, I think it's become a marketing thing to be like, Come and yeah. drink, come and diet with me, and you won't be hungry. It's like, well, you can't really decide that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, because we're in this age now where you know everyone can market. Like we're in a the the media generation. The you never hear of the client that had to suffer to mm. get the outcome. Now you only hear of the client that's got the best circumstances to get the outcome. Yeah. It's like the you know, they're sitting outside the bell curve. Like you're using them as the, the example for all of these other people. Like I'm telling you now, I don't, it doesn't matter who I fucking work with, even myself. It's like, I'm eating a low amount of food when I die. It's happened every single fucking time. I don't get to eat 3000 calories and get shredded. It's never happened. And it never will, unless I do like 25,000 steps a day or some shit. So my activity is so high Mm. that I get to eat more because the deficit is still there. Which you're just like, as hungry anyway because you're doing so much fucking activity. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, that's exactly it. You're dealing with the same circumstances as just the variables are different. Yeah. You know, um, so I, and then there's these poor souls that go into these phases thinking that, you know, either this particular person's got some, you know, super different formula that no one knows about the secret, you know, all the shit. And it's not, it's just like, this is your, these are your variables, how your body works. This is your lifestyle and these are your activity markers. And this is how your diet's going to work for you. Um, so I think that if we can understand just the inner workings of what's happening, it's like, we can kind of welcome this stuff. Like I kind of feel like people need to know they're going to be hungry. So when they get hungry, it's like, all right, cool. This is part of it. This is it. You know, it's like, it's like feeling lactic acid yeah. during a, a mid to long hypertrophy set. It's I was like, just, about, just about to say Dom's. It's yeah. It's like, this is the fucking set is starting now. It's like, you're here. Like, this is it. Like, this is where I want to be. Like, sometimes I'm like, all right, I'm 15 reps into a 25 rep set, but it's like these 10 are the, the 10 reps. This is the start of the set, you know, and you need to feel this to you know get this outcome that you want. And it's like, you know, when you're, in a phase of fat loss, like you need to do the same thing. It's like, <clears throat> oh, I want to eat, but I can't. 
well, sorry, I should not because my goals suggest that I should stick to this calorie and macro distribution and I'm going to eat later. Mm. Um, so yeah, if you're one of those people that like you eat 5,000 calories and you drop down to 3000, like it doesn't really matter how much you eat. You're still going to be hungry because you're used to eating 5,000. Like it's just, we, we tie ourselves to this number and that number for me would be fantastic mm. because I can, but I can't eat that much. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting like when we've spoken about this before like anecdotally anytime i've got resemblance of lean it's like under 2500 calories closer to 2000 it's like but right now maintenance for me is probably like 39 it's like a big yeah. drop it's like so you tell like amy louise is like in the 50 kilo range it's like, oh yeah, I'm dieting yeah. on two to two and a half thousand. It's like, fuck, that's so much food. It's like, no, it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a fifty percent deficit. Like, I'm fucking hungry. And to understand like where, where you are in that range and not like there are there like you said, you you're talking about people outside of the bell curve. That's what people like to talk about on social media and stuff. Like, oh, I had a client who dieted on three thousand calories, blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, cool, but what do most people have to diet on? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's still, it's still talking about the, the feeling of it. Like the feeling of hungry doesn't represent like the calories don't represent that. Yeah. Like that's still going to be a side effect. Yeah. It's still a side effect of weight loss. Yeah. It's like, we all just kind of look at the positive ones. Like, and I'll say this all the time. Like we always look at the positives. It's like, if I do this diet phase, I'm going to look leaner. I'm going to fit in my clothes. I'm going to go to this Cairns beach party and be massive and shredded you know, like I'm going to feel better in my skin kind of thing, but it's like, okay, so these are the other side effects. You're going to be lower on energy. You're going to not want to train. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you're going to be hungry. You know, you're going to probably not sleep as well. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're the things that, you know, happen as well. So we need to know what both of them are. It's the same question when you open up the PED thing, it's like, Oh, I take these PEDs and I get jacked and I get strong and I get muscly and I get this. And it's like, okay, but yeah, but there's these trade-offs too, mm-hmm. you know, but everyone just kind of hones in on the good shit. You know, yeah. we never look at the bad shit. It's like, no, 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 let's look at the bad shit. Cause if yeah. the bad shit comes, we can mitigate it. You know, we, we know it's going to happen. We can prepare for it. I think it's important not to open that can of worms too great, but like for the general population to understand that a lot of the numbers and stuff that are getting spat around by your fitspos, probably are in that space as well it's like you can eat a little bit more food and not quite be be quite as hungry if you have some pharmacology assistance so it's important to understand that when you're seeing those things get thrown around on social media as well and there are there are um and i didn't talk about them in the article um but there are like even just you know some supplements and stuff you can use to you know help mitigate your hunger and stuff but like they they should only be used in extreme circumstances like you know, and I'm not talking about like fucking Duramine or some shit. Like you don't have to go to a GP to get these, like you can just get, them. um, but like, I just was like, I'm not addressing that because I know what this generation's like, I I'm going to buy the outcome. So I'm going to buy the supplements. Like, no, no, no. You need to understand this shit and you need to kind of be in it just raw. Yeah. And then it's like squatting for the first time with a belt on. It's like, yeah, just take the belt off, learn how to squat, put the belt on once you get stronger positionally, all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, sweet man, go for it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of that same concept. It's like, just do it raw and then, you know, develop from there. So yeah, but 
obviously you can tell how passionate I am about people understanding this because I've only gone through like the first three or four lines, but um, <laughs> I think, I think food choices is still something that we need to address. Like <clears throat> big fan of volume, big fan of, you know, people going, yeah, how much food could I pack on a plate and, you know, get as much volume um, on the dish and, and make that person feel, you know, satiated for that feeding time, which could carry over to, you know, half an hour, 45, an hour later um, after their feeding time. So their next feeding time is closer. Food volume doesn't always mitigate hunger though. So that, that doesn't suggest that like the more food you have on your plate, you're still going to stay satiated. There are foods that, you know, they've identified across, you know, studying multiple people um, eating in a 280 gram serve and just giving them a rank of like how satiated they feel after that. Um, and that's called the satiety index. And when we look at the foods on there, a lot of them are, I guess, like voluminous foods, but some of them are not too. So I would probably prefer someone to look at this list and identify the foods that are really satiating, the ones that rank as high as possible, um, and then look at them and go, well, how can I make the, some of these a the foundation of my diet? Um, so there are things like potatoes, white fish, beef steak, oatmeal, oranges, apples, eggs, like I kind of feel like most people should have these as a bit of a foundation to their diet anyway. Um, and if I look at like any of my clients who are getting lean, like most of them are consuming these goods anyway. Um, I tend to find like when you start to look at the mid range to low scoring foods, you only eat those when you've got lots of calories. Um, Cause they're really, I guess like dense in energy, most of them. Um, but they're, I think more importantly, from a fat loss perspective, they're hyper palatable as well. So if we look at the things that kind of score pretty poorly on the satiety, it's like cake, donuts, chocolate bars, peanuts. So that's peanuts is an interesting one because a lot of people like to snack on nuts and they, you know, because they're healthy. They're dense as an energy and they don't make you full. Um, and what was that? Hagen dazs number one. Yeah. That list. Ice cream. Uh, yeah, ice cream. Um, so I think that it's important to understand both ends of the spectrum because we want to try to build a foundation of the ones that rank really high on the satiety index. And if you're a person that can have the foods that rank really low in small amounts in a controlled fashion, and it's not a trigger food that derails your progress, then consume some of those foods. However, it's, I'm a big believer in environment. It's no different to like who you hang out with. It's like what you surround yourself with in terms of diet success is super important. I don't know if like having a cupboard full of croissants, cakes, donuts, chocolate bars, peanuts, those kind of things when you're feeling hungry and you're feeling fatigued and you're feeling sorry for yourself that I, I just don't know if most people have the willpower to kind of, you know, not eat those foods or if they have one piece or two pieces like next thing you know, it's three and four and five, and then it's the whole box or whatever. And, you know, their whole progress has been derailed. And then that could start the negative cycle of dieting again. So again, I, I think it, yeah. it comes back to that um, for, for me anyway, like with my clients, it comes back to that experience level. And this, I think is why it's important maybe initially for someone in that who's learning new habits and dieting this way for the first time that you can, you diet from a higher position. So like you said, like, like 10 to 15, yeah. even 20% deficit allows you room for one row of chocolate a day. Yeah. 
So it teaches you like, okay, it's okay to have a little bit of this rather than eating a block on a Saturday night and eating like an asshole, like that I can learn these processes and then a little bit different to saying, all right, you're in a 40% deficit. You got six weeks and you're trying to get as lean as you fucking can. Maybe that roll of chocolate's not a good idea right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A lot of these foods are like smaller in composition too. So it's eat a roll of chocolate. You could eat maybe two, two, two granny Smith apples. That'll make you feel much more satiated. I know it's not, probably gives you as big of a dopamine hit as you know, a row of chocolate does, but it's like kind of, yeah, you just get more in could that could stretch you out to the next meal. So food choices are quite kind of important. I think it's probably one of the better strategies that we have to mitigating, um, you know, these side effects of dieting. Yeah. So the next one I had is meal distribution. Um, so when I talk about meal distribution, it's just like when we eat, so Ben mentioned it before. He kind of like just drops the last meal of the day. It's 900 calories gone. Um, it kind of sounds like that meal's not dense in protein. So he's kind of still hitting the things that matter, which is the calories and protein. So a, a really easy strategy to do is just, you know, delaying um, the, the breakfast, the feeding time um, upon awakening. So just doing like some form of, uh, you know, extended fasting, time restricted kind of feeding model. So, uh, most people don't eat in the morning. I think that if you train in the morning, you should probably should feed, um, cause you still need to understand there's, you know, things going on after a session that require nourishment. Um, if we're talking about before, like performance is your highest virtue, having something ready that readily available in the bloodstream, um, to utilize for energy production is still important too. Um, so I think that if you tra- train in the morning, you can still use this time restricted feeding model, but it's not extending, uh, the fasting period upon awakening it's maybe dropping a meal later in the day. Um, so there's a couple of different strategies. It's like, you know, pick a window where you can consistently feed every three to four hours, but then you kind of cut off the feeding time at the end of the day and maybe in the, in the morning, um, or you just skip a meal. And I, like, I don't mind skip the skipping of the meal if you can do it. Um, Cause I still feel like the rest of the eating behavior is very similar um, for a period of time. And I think that that can get a lot of people into the the habits and behaviors that you need to diet for a long period of time um because you don't want to shake things up you don't shake the tree too much but it doesn't work for everyone some people still need to eat same time every day um and then they just need to understand either change the composition of those meals or the size of them or and or both yeah i feel like the am the am model is the best and then i like the idea if you are training in the morning that maybe you're cutting it early at night try not to go in between um, cause we've all had that, like, I used to do it all the time when it went back doing late night PT. It's like, you haven't eaten for fucking four hours. You've done 400 sessions. You have to drive past KFC on the way home. You're like, fuck, I could eat a bucket right now. So you don't want to put yourself in that position when you're dieting that, like Jake said earlier, like if you've got those things in your cupboard and you decide like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to drop my. 4 p.m. meal and just push it out till seven and have dinner and then you get to 5:30 and like you've got the shakes, you're starting to feel like a bit queasy. It's like I just need food right now, and then that's when you grab the Kit Kat or whatever and start. All of a sudden, you put away half a block of chocolate in five minutes. Yeah, and that's a that's a strategy that a lot of people try to do. They try to go a prolonged period of time without food, but they get that hungry that they just can't stop themselves and you need to 
I think be aware of that too. Like remember we talked about those side effects before it's like, give yourself like, make sure it's smart. Make sure the feeding is always smart and logical. Like you need to feed a little bit throughout the day. If you need to go, if you want to go a little bit lighter to have a bigger meal at night, it's cool, but just don't go the whole day without eating. Like yeah. you know, one it goes against, you know, um, the mechanics of protein turnover anyway, um, in my opinion. Um, but you still need to kind of set yourself up for success. And I don't know if like starving yourself to the point where you're that hungry that if you smelt something, you'd eat it um, and you couldn't stop. So this is where we find the differences the most from person to person because everyone's got different lifestyles, work schedules, you know, those kind of things. So I think the more distracted you are, the easier it is. Um, you know, I definitely kind of find the days that I'm busier on the here at the moment. Um, when I was in the gym, it's easy. It's easy to lose weight when you're doing sessions because you're so distracted by everything that you don't get to think about eating. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is where that individualization kind of lies the most. <clears throat> the last thing that I've considered for hunger control, and there's lots, um, is your environment. And we've mentioned this a couple of times, um, but I think it's important, important to understand um, that we need to take control of our surroundings to set ourselves up for success. And I'm all about a bit of flexibility and I'm all about, you know, there's no such thing as a bad food. And essentially, you know, most foods are healthy um, and an unhealthy food is something that makes someone sick or, you know, mentally unwell or something like that. So there's really a broad spectrum of foods that we can eat, but we still have these foods that we should probably try to avoid to maximize our progress. Um, and that's, you know, understanding like how to manipulate our environment to do that. And it's also to try and set yourself up for success with the behaviors that actually match what you're trying to do. So we use the concept of friction um, and we like to use friction to our advantage by either removing it from tasks that we need to do, like putting your gym clothes in your car, um, putting having a protein shake um, spare in your gym bag, just in case you need it. Um, chopping up food so it's easier to cook, making actually meal prepping. All of those things make the behaviors that we need to do easier. So the likelihood of achieving the outcome is significantly higher. Now we need to consider, right, well, instead of removing friction, where could I put some? Yep. So that's when the bag of lollies goes into a container that goes up the back of the cupboard because you have to physically go out of your way to get them. So it's some, it's, it's not a quick, just reach and grab and eat. It's a, where the fuck are those cookies or where's those lollies? I've got to, I've got to physically go out of my way to get them. So I've got to think and process and understand that I am doing this. And it's like, sure, you might be able to do that. You might be able to grab one, put it down and go, cool. I've allowed myself one a day. But if you're not that person, like if they're sour lollies or something i'm eating the fucking whole packet like and i and i am being honest so they just don't go in the house and if they do that in a they're in the packet the packet's got an elastic band on it that goes in the cup in a container the container's got a lid the lid goes up you know and it's covered by shit it's like i know it's there but it's also not in face in eyesight as well not prompted by so it's just like you don't go in, yeah, you don't go in the cupboard and go Oh, I see that. And that's what they do at the shops. They put all the good shit at eyesight or anyone who wants to pay the most to get that eyesight kind of shelf. It's like, you're just looking at stuff and going, Oh yeah, I'm going to have that now. Oh, I'm going to have this. So, you know, something like, and that's just like, they know that's how we think and work when it comes to food and food choices. So 
if it's out of sight, it's kind of out of mind. Um, so I think that's a super important thing to set you up for success outside of your food choices is creating the environment. And that can trickle down to people and, you know, all kinds of shit, you know, who you train with and, you know, all that. But yeah, that's kind of, I stuck with it because it's more about the hunger regulation stuff. Yeah, I agree. Nothing to add on that one, Jason. I do want to point out because we're discussing fat loss and we've just said how fat I was at the start that we, neither of us have our headphones on. So we're not sure on the audio, but Indy's behind me and has been snoring for the last like 40 minutes. I just want to make sure that that heavy breathing, if it's come through the microphone is not me. It's actually Indy snoring on the couch behind me. <laughs> Ed talks for too long. You might huff and puff for a bit. Yeah. I got to that stage too. I got to that stage too. It's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> so the the next uh the next factor that i wanted to address is the stress management and the sleep component because this this is highly influential on not only your compliance but also like just how much weight we can lose and what of that weight could be fat and can be lean body mass mm-hmm. so there's really good sleep studies that show underslept calorie deficit. The distribution of weight loss is more lean body mass than fat mass. If the people are rested and they sleep well, it skews the other way where there's more fat mass being lost than lean body mass. I think it's important to address that. Like when we talk about lean body mass, it's not just contractile tissue. It's anything that's not fat. So there's things that I guess like we lose as we go through a phase of fat loss, that's non-contractile as well. It's probably some, maybe some contractile protein too, but it's not as much as people would think. Um, so I think it's important to, to say that. Um, but a lot of people need to understand like, you know, the stress load that people have and what a dieting phase can add to that stress load. Um, Cause you know, under eating is a stressor, intense training is a stressor. You know, there's social pressures, family work, all of these things kind of add up to this load of stress that's bearing on a person and they're dealing with that, you know, however they can. Um, so if we're adding on to that, an extreme phase of fat loss, it could be the straw that breaks the camel's back and either, you know, even though they're, I guess, like willing, um, they're not necessarily kind of able to maintain the, the course of events to get them this outcome because they've just got too much stuff going on um, and that can really kind of get in the way. So I think it's really important to just see where someone's at and being like, can you commit to the training, the activity, the dieting, you know, all this stuff, you've got this coming up, you know, it's this person's, you know, birthday or whatever, um, going on a holiday or works really hard and you need to meet this deadline. Like, is it really, is it that realistic kind of adding on all of this stuff as well. A lot of them will say yes. And then it's not um, a surprise in say two to three weeks time, the wheels fall off. Um, All the consistency is just not there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard because it, it, you kind of can go like with everything. The truth is somewhere in the middle understanding that like we've talked about different methods and how it's individualized in terms of like even just meal timing and different macro splits, different stress circumstances for different individuals. It's really important to 
be objective when you look back on. So we use obviously a weekly, like that standard scientific method, have a look at the data, interpret the data, review it, make a change if required, do it again. It's really important to be objective in that and have a look at like, okay, was it the method? Was it that I tried to not eat till 12 o'clock and then I got to 12 o'clock and ate like an asshole? Okay. Maybe that, maybe I need to try a different method or like what we've been saying, like being hungry is a part of the process. And are you just not committed to the goals? Like they're, they're the opposite ends of the spectrum. So you need to be objective in the middle somewhere. And that's why having a coach is so important to be able to say like, okay, let's try a different method to see if that works better. And then having a look at like the, the lifestyle KPIs and stuff that we look at, like, Stress is really high, sleep's really low, digestion's really poor. All these other things are saying, hey, this is probably not a good idea for you right now. Um, or you're just really fucking deep in a diet. You've got to suck it up for the next three to four weeks and this is kind of part of its sods. Um, it, it, I think it's important, I guess, to step out of it, zoom the lens out, have a look from a, an external point of view and go, okay, what's actually going on here? Not jumping straight to, I'm a piece of shit because I didn't follow my diet. Or the other way around, the diet's too hard because I didn't execute. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess to add that, like just are you in a situation where you can execute any diet to reflect weight loss or any any goal that's reflecting weight loss right now? Like because that's there's a lot of people that do it with the best intentions, but they're just not they don't have the surroundings and the schedule and all that to permit it right now. Um so I think it's important to kind of just, again, talk to these, talk to your clients, talk to yourselves and go, this is what's going to have to happen. I'm going to have to do these things to, you know, get this outcome. Thinking about all the other things that I have to do. Can I do that? So the next consideration in this, you know, stress management is the sleep. You know, we did mention it, but it's something that kind of gets taken for granted because we will all get to a point in the night where we just kind of start to shut down. Um, but most people will have to wake up at a certain time. So we're not getting that fully rested at a period that, you know, allows this like regeneration repair. And I guess like this downloading from, you know, short-term memory to long-term memory, if we need it, the skill acquisition, you know, all of those kind of things that do happen at certain stages of the night when we engage in sleep, um, you know, we need X amount of sleep cycles and X amount of sleep cycles have a distribution of the types of sleep that we need and they serve different purposes. So having adequate high quality sleep, you know, allows us to kind of recover from our sessions and kind of you know, mitigate some of this stress load. So if we don't have uh, adequate rest, we wake up in a situation where, you know, we feel a little bit tired, more stressed, exhausted. And all of these things make every task that we have to do to facilitate weight loss just way harder. Mm. You know, we're less conscious of food choices, less conscious of hunger and fullness. And we typically start to navigate towards foods that just, you know, either feed you at that time for convenience or they're hyper palatable and energy dense. And it's not an accident that that happens. Like your body's identified that it's just tired and hungry. So it's trying to send the signals for you to make that decision to eat those foods to, you know, essentially try and feed it and make it feel you know, full and, and, and less stressed out. So that's something that obviously is a major obstacle, you know, for people that are trying to lose body fat. And then 
we put in the, now we need to think about the activity component of it. It's like, you know, being stressed, exhausted, you know, tired, all those things, not going to make performance great. Yeah. You know, so your workouts potentially are going to, you know, suck. And then day-to-day -day activity is going to be lower as well. So we've got our non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is probably the most influential marker or variable to weight loss um, and what they think differs mostly from person to person. Um, when we talk about, you know, calories and how much someone could eat and whatnot, like, yeah, there's some genetic stuff that influences BMR, but most people that burn a lot of energy throughout the day just are super active, whether it's fidgeting and using their hands like I'm doing now, um, or if it's just like they've got a, you know, active job and all those things. So when we eat less and we're tired um, and we don't sleep well, all of those things, you know, start to do that day-to-day -day activity starts to drop. Like you'll notice it, like you'll just sit down more, um, you won't move your hands as much. You won't blink. You won't move your head. You won't be as animated when you talk and interact with people. All those things burn energy. All those things have an energy requirement, and and all of that stuff down regulates as we you know don't sleep adequately. So now we've got poor poor performance, less overall energy expenditure across the day. A situation where it makes dieting and sticking to your diet really hard because you know we've got all these signals to tell us to eat more. I'm not sure if that's creating when we talk about this environment, the best environment for a client who's trying to, you know, lose some fat for, in, a, in a period of time. Anything to add there? Yeah, just something anecdotally that I've played with in the last couple of weeks, like what you do before bed. Um, so I actually noticed it heaps uh, last week, moved the Xbox into the bedroom and was still a good boy and, and stuck to my curfew and still had my like Delta waves and all of that playing like at 10 PM when it's bedtime, but just like an hour and a half of computer games and then like, okay, screens off, let's try and go to sleep. Just like a restless mess trying to get to sleep, woke up more often through the night, resting heart rate showed up higher than normal. So it's like the things that you're doing in the lead up to sleep, potentially and this is like it makes sense but anecdotally this was this one thing that happened um do you not going to have as good a sleep as high quality sleep wake up as refreshed so like in the in the article you've mentioned things like meditation and breathing practices journaling reflection reduced time on electronics um sticking to your sleep wake schedule like all of those things will make a really big difference in terms of the sleep quality you have and how relaxed you'll actually be. And then thinking about like your overall stress load, being able to reduce that as frequently as possible is pretty, pretty important. Hmm. Yeah. I think if you summit, try and simplify it all before bed, just try and take the distractions out. Yeah. I try not to be distracted all the time. Like, cause that just means you're, paying attention your brain is working if you try and remove as many of those distractions and that's where <clears throat> writing things down and you know not engaging in something that's you know electronics and all that um that can help the most yeah because actually just looking at my data um now so comparatively last night i read for 30 minutes before bed under a lamp uh, put the book down journaling grateful log, put the diary down, light off, go to sleep. Yeah. And out of, uh, what do we got? 
10, 11, 12, nine out of nine hours laying down. I had eight hours and 46 minutes sleep. Yeah. It's awesome. Which is actually really high for me. So being able to facilitate that rather than laying down for nine hours and sleeping for seven and a half makes a really big difference the next day. And like, like you were saying, just a little shit that people don't even think about like skill acquisition, memory, um, access to willpower, all of that sort of stuff is affected by sleep. It's not just like how you feel the actual practical outcomes of the shit that's supposed to happen in your brain while you're sleeping will be reduced if you're not sleeping enough. Yeah. Yeah. It, like I said, it's just something that people take for granted way too much, but obviously we need it. Um, Cause at some point we'll just shut down. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should just do that. It's like, Oh, we're shutting down cause we need to. So like we should just create a, a, a schedule where it's like, all right, this is bedtime. This is wait time. You know, there's a buffer, like, of course, um, and then I think if we put some effort into creating the right environment too, um, both those things can help. So I, I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of people who just like spend a lot of time on their bed as well. Like they just lie in bed and they do everything in bed. They, you see them all nearly all day and they're in bed watching TV, all that stuff. Cause I don't know. I think there's some power into like, you know, where you are, like your body kind of recognizes what it needs to do too. Like if I sit in this office, like I'm not, I'm not going to feel tired. You know, and if I do this, something wrong, um, where if I lie in bed and I'm lying down in that like kind of supine position, it's like my body almost knows to just wind down, chill out. Yeah. It's like, if I lie down on the couch, same thing. I kind of just start to feel a little bit tired. I don't know. I feel I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of just going to bed to, the two activities, Ben, yeah. I'm not going to tell you what they are and not going to tell you what order either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to the next one, we'll talk about like training and activity. So um, look, I don't believe that this needs a lot of discussion. I think that, you know, it, it's a no brainer um, in terms of like why training and activity is important. <clears throat> the thing that I want to talk about is just that distribution of like, do we do weights? Do we do cardio? Do we do both? Like, you know, is it just the, are we the old El Paso kid that just says, why not both kind of thing? Um, I think that's where we need to kind of probably just dive in a little bit. Um, so if you're a, if you're a general weight loss client individual and you have no interest in pursuing aesthetics and having a specific look, then you should pick a combination that you like to do. You know, researchers show that a combination of resistance training and cardiovascular or, or aerobics, we'll call it, is a, is a good combination, is the best combination. However, the distribution of how much you should do, I think is depending on what pursuit of goal you're, or what, yeah, what, what goal you're pursuing. Yeah. So <clears throat> because most of the clients that we work with uh, interested in strength and power sports or building muscle or developing a specific look like, you know, pursuing an aesthetic outcome, whether it's bigger glutes, nicer shoulders, nicer, everything, you know, being stronger, we need to consider what that takes to get that outcome. And that's doing resistance training and doing lots of it. Yeah. You know, cause the people that look that way are doing that. So that takes precedence. So we need to make sure we have the baseline requirements for that goal taken care of. Because even though your, your clients who are getting stronger may want to lose weight, they still want to be stronger. 
-hmm. even though my clients who are trying to reduce body fat, they still want to be as big as they can, you know, most of them. Um, so that still takes precedence. There's no point like going through a growth phase and building all this tissue. And then it's like, you just diet it all off because yeah. um, you just didn't do it properly. Because yeah, there's still stimulation of that, of those muscles that you need to retain that tissue. So this is where these you know, nuances apply. So in a nutshell, I use aerobics for most people as energy expenditure. Yeah. And it's energy expenditure that people can recover from. Um, and I'm not a big fan of just adding more resistance training. Cause I just think that, yeah, adding more resistance training, like, you know, stimulates tissue and it burns energy and all of that, but like, it just has a way more of a, a far greater re demand recovery wise. Yeah. And when you do your baseline requirements of the resistance training, I think that rather than dipping into that recovery bucket more, go and do an activity that's fulfilling the energy expenditure component, but not demanding too much of the system to recover. So that's where you'll see a lot of my guys are doing cycling, cross trainer, recumbent bike, mm -hmm. light walking, um, rather than hitting the pavement for 10 to 15 Ks. Like I spoke about the other day. Um, I think it really is, uh, specific to the individual though. But if you've got a client who's like, yeah, weight loss, just want to get reduced body fat, not don't really care how I look or whatever. It's like, cool, find the activity that fits and that you like to do. And you're going to do consistently. Yeah. I think it's a sliding scale based on where you are in your pursuit of athletic performance. I say athletic performance, but I, in that, I also mean like the physique, if we consider being jacked and shredded as an athletic outcome, which I think it is. Um, it requires athlete like behaviors. Maybe you can argue whether it's a sport or not, but it, it requires an athletic like behavior and mindset to achieve it. So the further down that path you are, I think the more specific you then become around that. Like, um, yeah, definitely. like for example, if I'm in a comp prep, mode probably not going to go down and, and shoot a basketball for half an hour because it's like that's going to have a greater recovery demand for me than to sit on a really low resistance spin bike for half an hour and in terms of the outcome that i'm looking for in terms of maintaining aerobic capacity probably a similar outcome right now i don't even know where the next time i'm going to compete is i don't really give a fuck i'm gonna go shoot the basketball Cause like training stress isn't as high. So it's cool to, it's fine to kind of do that. Um, so again, like, yeah. like riding, uh, <laughs> using Will as an example, like he tries to ride a, a push bike around New York while they're over there. They put it up on their story. It was fucking hilarious. He's like, I haven't ridden a push bike for 10 years. And his next like week of training was shit house. This is like just being that size and not having done that skill for a long time actually really negatively impact his ability to recover from his training. So it's like just considering, okay, like I think you can take it too far. Like at the end of the day, both powerlifting and bodybuilding and doing a photo shoot, like I'm getting paid, not like the outcome isn't like maybe you get a plastic trophy at least in powerlifting, you tend to get a steel trophy. So powerlifting is better, but um, like, yeah, just weighing up like, okay, what's, what's the, the main priority? How negatively is this going to impact that? And then going about that as well. 
So in terms of like training and activity, like you were talking about, my approach is just like, we need to tick all the boxes of your training first and then try and do things that are going to impact your recovery the least amount possible. That's my perfect scenario. And then, like you said, if someone's not necessarily like wants to get every little drop out of their performance, say for like a powerlifting outcome, they just want to be generally stronger and look good. And if you want to go for a hike on the weekend, go for it. Mm. Whereas I, I am again, like that comp prep versus non-comp prep mindset. You asked me to go work, walk up camel's hump at Mount Macedon in a comp prep. I'm like, no, nah, fuck that. Like I'll be sore the next day. Like I, that's going to affect my training. I'll walk around the block with the dog. But again, right now, yeah, sweet. Let's just go and do that. I'll be fine. Yeah. If I squat five less yeah, kilos this week, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I uh, guess moving into the tail end of uh, the topic. So the next thing is like results, tracking and, and interpretation of data. So like people really want to know like, um, are they on the right track? What are some things to you know, measure to ensure that they're on the right track? So I think it's important that you know, people know the, the right metrics to assess. And I think that they, they have a better understanding that like progress is never linear. Like we don't have this influence over our body to make it change in a fashion that just kind of favorably kind of moves in the right direction every week. It doesn't necessarily work like that. There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of variables involved in it. Um, so we need to go, right, well, what are the sum of metrics that we can use to assess whether we're moving in the right direction. And even before we do that, I think sometimes if we know what the behaviors are and we're meeting those behaviors, we just need more time. So time is a variable that, you know, we can't, um, I guess like assess it. Like we can't assess time. Like sometimes you just need to be like, well, if you didn't get the outcome where you're this compliant on nutrition, um, your results say this, your, your KPIs say that. It's like, maybe let's just sit here for another week and see what happens. Um, and most of the time, things kind of work in that favor. I tend to find you work with females. It's kind of an even greater tool to use. Like time is a greater tool to use, even though they, in some cases, are maybe a little bit more impatient than the guys when it comes to fat and weight loss. Um, but yeah, like the goal here is to, have all your stones, turn them over and then make a decision after that. You know, we don't want to just kind of use one and then go, all right, I'm going to do this because one doesn't tell the whole story. So I'm not going to lie and sugarcoat it. Average body weight is great. Mm-hmm. So for people that don't have any uh, negative connotations with weight and it doesn't assign to their identity and it's not going to derail their progress doing it, Average body weight is fantastic, especially if someone's really consistent with their diet. Like I'm talking like to the point where they almost eat the same shit um, every day. Yeah. I tend to find that is super accurate because the same things going in and the energy is going out. It's like, you can use that as an interpretation. So I like it a lot, but I don't use it for everybody because there are people out there that just, you know, the figure just gets to them and it's from, thing you know result of things that have happened over the lifetime and you know we don't want to use something that's going to potentially get in the way uh next one's like your girth measurements um across specific sites of the body i think like measuring the comp like the 
the circumference or the cross-sectional area of a particular part of your body is a great way of measuring where you're losing things from. Um, so that can kind of help with, I guess, like influencing that overall shape that someone's maybe trying to achieve as well as kind of just seeing if that person's just overall cross-sectionally getting smaller. I've seen people's average body weight stay the same um, and their growth measurements go down. I'm sure a lot of coaches have. So that's a really good one. It's like, well, you lost this many centimeters. Who cares what your weight's like? We're still moving in the right direction kind of thing. Progress pitches. So there, um, sorry, before that skin folds, if you can get them done by a good practitioner, seven or nine sites is good. Don't mind nine sites now, um, providing that the practitioner is good. Um, Progress pitches, like I said, I think those four for me are the best. I like to use those four to interpret like the uh, objective outcome, like the objective results, like this is what's happened, but it's important to have some subjective measures as well. It's like, well, how do you as the individual feel? How does the client feel? It also gives you an understanding of like what could potentially have happened. So subjective markers like energy, hunger, stress, load, you know, digest and sleep, you know, those kind of things. Um, overall, uh, no, I spoke about that already. Yeah. Those kind of things give you more context to kind of what's happening. Um, and then the last one, which is not necessarily a metric, but more of a, um, assessment tool is just like their action points and non-negotiables for the week. It's like, did you meet those? What are they? You know, that's where that's the habit formation stuff that we spoke about right at the start of this episode. It's like those things need to be down, set down in stone. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got your workouts to do, your activity to do, your diet to stick to, the this, the that. It's like, what are they? Like how often, how many, this and that. I think that they're probably more important than anything because they kind of just like, that's the first domino. We get the action points and the non-negotiables right. Everything else should fall in place. Yeah. Uh, anything dad there, mate? No, nah, it- those aside from the skin folds, those top three are the ones that I use the most. And then in terms of making decisions based off those, that's when I'll consider the subjective markers. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, if you're already feeling like shit and struggling to the next plot point you've got there is adherence. It's like, okay, my decision-making is impacted by that. Yeah. 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 I think um, having, having multiple metrics, allows you to have better decision making like i said before especially when things don't start to add up it's like as a coach like and especially as an online coach like these are your bread and butter like the communications you have with your clients and the data is everything because you're sitting back going i've had this conversation with this person this is what happened this is what happened last week the week before trending this data and i'm going okay what is my next move what is our next move you take four of those metrics out mm. there's the decision-making is cut in in over half yeah. you got now you're not even looking at this it's not it's not a global mindset now it's a it's you're looking through individual microscopes of each aspect yeah and that's play, where things start to go wrong trying to play pin the tail on the donkey with the blindfold on like you got like one yeah. data yeah and that's where information which is like the walls over there yeah. If you hit it, it's like, sweet. But it's like, I don't think you'll do that every time. Yeah. Yeah. So the, and I, I guess you can take it too far too and just start like, you know, having every metric under the sun. So 
advice is like, if you can interpret the information and you can make a logical decision based off that, that moves yourself or the person in the right direction, use it. But don't just have a heap of shit in there that either you or your client's not going to do um, that, or it just gives you nothing. Mm. Like you don't even know how to interpret that information. So it's like, Oh fuck. Like that's probably no point having it in here. Yeah. It's just kind of wasting bandwidth from both of you. All right. So we're here. Last component adherence. So I know this one should have been first cause it's the most important one, but every single thing that we've spoken about up until this point sets the paves the way for this person in terms of adherence and compliance. Yeah. So the best plan is the one you can follow, right? So the people's biggest downs downfall to fat loss success is that they pick something that is so unrealistic that they cannot stick to it for a prolonged period of time or the plan that they're doing focuses on the shit that doesn't matter or a combination of both. So what we've outlined in the, in today's episode and in the article is these are the things that really matter when we're looking at the overarching principles for fat loss. Here is a bunch of tools and strategies that you can do to employ those. Here is some considerations to make you choose better decisions and ask yourself after you think about all of those things, can you follow it for a prolonged period of time? If your answer is yes, you found it. Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, you may need to rethink it. And I know that weight loss and fat loss and stuff is heavily emotional. And a lot of people you know, think and believe that they'll be much happier at the end of it than they are right now. And I'm not going to deny that. You most likely would be. However, how you get there is super important because we need to make sure that once we get there, we can reassess and we can move on. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get into a negative cycle of dieting where you get to the outcome. It was that extreme. You fall off the wagon, you go back to square one and you're just like that weight loss dieting person. Mm-hmm. Like that's you. You're, I'm Jason who's always trying to lose weight. Like, man, no one wants to be like that. Like you want to be that person that, sets a goal, fucking karate kicks it. And then, you know, sits there and is like, all right, what am I going to do next? You know, I want to get stronger. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like that's what you want to do. And how you get there paves the way for that. It's like, you want to knock off multiple goals. You don't want to be trying to obtain one goal forever. Yeah. I think around the, like, we'd be happier at the end. I feel like a lot of that comes down to finding fulfillment in the process rather than the outcome. And then if you have found a way to find a, like alignment, fulfillment, whatever word you want to use within that process of achieving that goal, then you'll continue to find that on the way on the other side. And then you don't become this yo-yo dieter, chronic dieter, whatever, because you've found reward in the weekly process and the the ins and outs of it rather than only considering the outcome. And then I think in terms of adherence overall, just like when I hear the term adherence, just like considering all the cons when deciding on the pros. So it's like, okay, would, do you want, or would you like to have apps? Because the two are different. 
I think I would like is like a statement that doesn't consider the cons. And I think I want considers the cons. So it's like, yeah. okay, if you want that, you've considered, okay, this is what it's going to take. This is how long it's going to take. This is what's required. Here's all the downsides in, as well as the upsides. Whereas I'd like is just like, yeah, it'd be cool, but yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's actually a word in the yeah. district. I was just, yeah. Um, so considering those things beforehand is going to play a huge role in your ability to be adherent. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's, that's kind of covered everything that I wanted to discuss um, in the article. So a bit of a longer one today, but um, it's definitely one that you guys can come back to, to kind of, you know, when you're in this space um, and it's obviously one that we can kind of, you know, send people in the right direction just to make yeah. sure they're getting good information. Yeah. I think, I think that's part of the problem is like talking about fat loss and weight loss and stuff is so mainstream now that it's no one actually takes time to listen or read or think about what's actually involved. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to lose weight, like eat less, move more, whatever. It's like the actual ins and outs of that aren't considered enough. So yeah, if you've made it all the way through the episode, good for you. Um, and you're probably in a far better position now just from an education and awareness standpoint to actually go and achieve your outcomes. Mm. Yeah. All right. So if you want to read the article, sorry. I was going to say, if you want to read the article, it's on our medium at medium dash. I'll just go to the link in our bio on our Instagram and just, um, you know, select articles. It's probably the easiest thing to do. Less steps rather yeah. than putting the website out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So to do that at STC fit for online coaching at STC fit underscore learning for uh, coaches and gym nerds at Jason Galea underscore STC for Jason's page at Ben Scott STC for my page. Um, you'll find the girls and stuff through there as well. Link in bios for everything, um, services, bookings, find the articles, YouTube, podcast, all that shit. It's all in there. If you want to go more direct, it's stcfitlearning.com. The articles are at medium.com forward slash stcfit. Um, but yeah, like Jay said, you'll find everything via the Instagrams because that's where we spend our lives yep. these days. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Yeah. We'll wrap it up. Uh, I think we're on again next week and we're going to talk about assessing movement. Um, and then the typical breakdowns that you'll find in people's technique. So that'll be fun. Uh, if awesome. you want, thanks for listening guys. Yeah. If you want to preface those, the articles for those are already out. So if you want to read them before the podcast comes out, if you're a, a super uh, STC fit fan, which makes me feel really strange if we have those um, read the articles and then yeah, jump on the podcast. It will probably be even better. Anyways, we will see you next week. See you guys. Bye.